So because of our craving for innocence and significance and because of identity, I, I, I often share with people like what you're mentioning here right now. And, and I don't talk about politics in a way that, you know, is going to take one side or the other. But the, one of the, the problem with politics today is it's no longer about ish, the issues. It's no longer about, hey, hey, saying there's a problem in society today. Let's let's converse together, figure out how we can come together to uh, with a conclusion to this. And then we vote accordingly. Um, politics has become an identity. Um and it's a place, I always say this, identity feels like home and you will fight to protect your home. And right. the problem in life is oftentimes is we have assigned identity to too many things. And sometimes we, we've assigned them to contrary things, which of course just leads to a total world of upheaval, right? Um, if you're going to have multiple identities, they at least need to be somehow, you know, there has to be some common link that holds them together. But we are in a society where we have identity in these these contrasting things. And we have to be very careful what we allow to become an identity in our life. Um, and in the case of politics, like I said, it's, it's dangerous to any country when politics becomes about identity, because then it's no longer about discussion. It's no longer about unity. It's about you versus me. Listen to the vibes. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Listen to the Vibes, and I'm very happy and very privileged to welcome here Pastor Corey Rosinki, and he's in California. Is that what I read? Yes, sir. That's right. The Bay Area right. of California. But originally from Canada. Yes. Wow. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, as I mentioned, um Canadian born, lived in Canada my whole life. I've been down here in the States now for seven years. Um I've been a lot of things in my life, been a horse trainer, um, been a carpenter, um, been a pastor, been a musician. Actually, my first uh, lead pastor, I was a lead pastor for five years, and then I recorded an album and kind of went out and did the music thing for a while. Um, that's ultimately what opened the door to come down here to California. I got a, I got a, had a couple songs that were doing fairly well, and I got a call from California one day saying, hey, do you want to come down here and be part of the pastoral team at this church? And I was like, nope. I don't, <laughs> but uh, one thing led to another, and uh, I've been in California now for for seven years. So, yeah. Well, I wanted to uh, let you kind of explain why you're on the show in the first place, right? And because you, I mean, you've got a book, and you kind of are out on a mission to explain something to folks that we seem to neglect. So, yeah. I'll let you uh, further explain that. Sure. Well, I guess I would start by saying, you know, it doesn't take a genius to look around the world and say, wow, things are tense. <laughs> you know, there is there's aggression, um, there's conflict, um, there's confusion, um, there's um, isolationism, there's sadness, there's depression, there's so many things going on that seem to be amplified in our, I think our tech helps amplify these these our good things and our terrible aspects as well. And we look around the world and we say, why are things this way? You know, and I've thought about this for a long time. And, um, and uh, so what I'm on a mission to do right now is to go around and, and share with people um, about their soul. I want to remind people um, who we are. If we're going to look at the issues in the world today and say, how do we solve this problem? We're going to have to first ask the question, who are these people who are having these problems? And who are we? Who are we as people? And I, and I think that we've uh, forgotten that to a certain degree. And um, that, you know, there's a significant chance that most people listening, the vast majority of us, you know, we've spent our entire lives um, trying to make decisions, you know, looking for peace, looking for happiness, 
And we've been doing this with only half the information. And so I'm I'm on a mission right now to help people discover the other half. And I want to talk to people the, about this. So we aren't just a body. We aren't just a brain. Um, we're also souls. In fact, I would say the soul is the core of who we are. And if we really want to understand the problems in the world today, we need to understand the soul. And I'm trying to help people do that. Well, I haven't really asked anyone this before on my show, but would you be willing to share your testimony? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for sure. Yeah. So I was, um, as you mentioned, I'm a pastor. Um, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a chaotic home. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of a, a whole other side testimony there where, um, I grew, there was a, a part of my childhood where we were homeless as a family living in a tent by different lakes, tramping around British Columbia, Canada. Um, then we found a log cabin at the top of a mountain with no power or running water. And um, I wandered the hills and um, wandered the mountains. Um, and ever since I was a little boy, I've wanted to know why. I've, I've wanted to know why I'm the way I am, or why my family is the way they are, why the world's the way they are. And so from, so from the time I was a little boy, um, I was asking the question of why. And, and I remember when I was 10 and 11 years old, you know, I, was reading, I was reading Plato. And I was reading books by Aristotle, um, philosoph- you know, philosophy, wanting to understand people, wanting to understand cultures. And then, you know, when I got like 11 and 12, you know, I started, you know, dabbling a little bit more in, in psychology and psychiatry and reading stuff by Freud. And then someone introduced me to C.S. Lewis. And I think I know I was like 12 years old at the time. And so they were suggesting that I, I think read the Chronicles of Narnia or something like that. But, yeah. but I didn't get that memo. So I was reading mere Christianity and the problem of pain and some of these fantastic books by C.S. Lewis that are just some of the best books ever written as far as I'm concerned. I just always wanted to know why. Um, so grew up in this, in this Christian home, but a chaotic Christian home. And um, I left home when I was 14 years old, determined that I was going to um, – be a success. I was going to be the best, you know, just had this drive that I wasn't going to um, let my, my childhood define me, that I was going to strive forward. And to be honest, that, that drove me forward. In some ways it was good. And in some ways it led to a very proudful, prideful person um, that um, if I met that person today, I don't think I could stand being in the same room with them. <laughs> and, um, but it drove me to accomplish and to, and to succeed. Um, but I grew up, like I said, in the Christian home, but for me, um, when I was, I, my, I married my wife when we were 19 years old and I, growing up in the church, I knew the answers, right? I wasn't following the Lord in any way, but I knew the answers. She didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, but she had a desire to know God, but she didn't have the answer. So I was able to share with her. Um, she was able to kind of stir an excitement in me and we got married and started going to church. And, um, I had, I remember, um, coming home in the evening and reading, I was reading the Iliad, Iliad at the time by Homer for like, you know, the story of Troy and Greece and Achilles and all that stuff. And it was, it was probably the fourth time I read it, but I remember reading it and right at the very beginning, it's talking about the chaos amongst the gods, right? And there's certain Greek gods that are on the Greek side and there's certain Greek gods that are on the Trojan side and they're fighting against each other and there's all this chaos and they're lying to each other and they're backstabbing each other. And I remember just having a moment where I sat up and I said, God isn't like this. And then it drove me to add, the next question I asked myself was, well, if he's not like this, what is he like? And that's what really drove me into to wanting to know who God was and knowing who is this God that I grew up believing in, but, you know, not really believing in. And um, so I poured in and I discovered Jesus and he changed my life. 
And um, and then all of a sudden, all the things that I had read through Aristotle and Plato and even Freud and why the world is doing what they're doing suddenly began to make sense when I knew Jesus. And um, fell in love with the Lord. Um, actually, when I first got into music, that's what it was. Started going to a church. I could play guitar and sing a little bit. So they asked me to be on the, you know, the worship team. Um, so I played and sang and then um, they asked me to lead. So I was leading songs and it was in that process, you know, as a church leader now, I'm always cautious to, I don't want to give people responsibility too soon because it tends to blow people up, but there is the odd person that it grows up. And I was fortunate in the sense that it grew me up. And so in the midst of my talking and singing about Jesus, um, I fell in love with my savior and um, been in love with him ever since. And um, yeah, the, and um, my whole life has been now in, um, in pursuit of his, his will in my life. And I'm very thankful for that. That's amazing. You were talking about giving people too much responsibility too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't mind, can I share my testimony real quick? Yeah. I'd, l- I'd love to hear it. Okay. So I grew up, um, my parents didn't go to church. Um, everybody on my mom's side of the family didn't seem to go to church, but my uh, great-grandparents on my father's side, they went to Methodist church. And mm. I'd come spend the night with them every once in a while, and then I'd go to church with them. But it wasn't a regular thing. That was about all I knew about God. I thought, oh, well, I went to church, so I'm going to heaven. Right. right. And then... My teenage years hit and I started drinking, doing drugs, and it just got worse and worse and worse as the years went by. And I got to the point where I was just a full-blown alcoholic Mm. and a drug addict. Mm. Anyway, I got a job working for an exterminating company. And I was supposed to go to this house and do a a termite inspection. So I get there. And... As soon as I pull up, man, this guy's got motorcycles and all this cool stuff in his garage, you know, and loaded up with tattoos, long hair, and, and you know, he he's like the kind of people I really grew up around. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm talking to him about his motorcycles and asked him about some of his tats and all that. Found out he used to be a bandito. This guy was cool in my eye, right? Right. And in the middle of talking, he stopped me and he goes, hey, man, you want to go to church with me? And it just kind of floored me. And I thought, wow, if this guy could go to church, well, why can't I? Right. And so uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to go, man, but I don't have a car. And he says, no problem. We'll come by and pick you up. Sure enough, Sunday morning, he was at my door. My family and I packed up, went to church that morning, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to preaching I've never heard in my life. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I just got this feeling of, I need to go up and get things right with God. I need to do it now. So I went up and I actually got saved that day. I asked the Lord to save me. And I, I put all my trust in Him. And then I wanted to do something. And by the, by the way, I quit drinking and drugs overnight wow left it all behind i mean i went through i got rid of everything in my house that you can imagine that had anything to do with with that lifestyle that i led right wow Wow. and 
And so I, I started going to the uh, juvenile detention center and I would, I would preach there and I helped with children's church and I, I was doing everything. Mm-hmm. And I moved up where, I mean, I was preaching on a regular basis and I took over the, the children's church. Anyway, to make a long story short, I don't want to get into details, but I had a falling out with my preacher and I left. And mm-hmm. when I left, I went full force back into my old life again. Right. And by the way, I ended up having a heart attack because I was drinking and doing too many drugs. And that was when mm-hmm. I was 36 years old. Wow. Um, my first wife decided that a younger man was better for her. So she left me for a guy who was mm-hmm. barely older than my daughter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, spent like the next 10 years kind of wandering the, the world not knowing what direction to go in but I finally got to know myself again and met my wife that I have now and then a year later we decided hey let's get married and she's like hey, need to, to get right and follow your spiritual path again and here I am so right on. <laughs> sorry if that took too long no, that's, that's great, man. That's, and that's, um, I remember, uh, I'm a friend of mine asked me one time and I won't divulge his information at all, but he had felt like he had just fallen into the deepest sin. And I remember him saying, you know, I don't know that God walked me back, you know, and what, what could God possibly want, you know, with me? And I remember, um, talking to him and saying, first off, he's your only hope, <laughs> There, there is no second option that's actually going to work. And, and, you know, and, and the next point was God uses people exactly like you who have been through all these differing things that oftentimes in your religion are considered, you know, taboo. And yet, man, that's what J- Jesus came to save sinners, man. And I'm a sinner. And I was in a conversation with someone this morning and they were, they, they said something really complimentary about me, too complimentary. And I, I responded back to saying, you know what? I'm a sinner saved by grace. God's grace and goodness. You know, I appreciate the nice things you're saying, but at the root of it, I'm a sinner. And and because of that, God can now use me to share to other people. You know, there's no pit too deep. You haven't fallen too far. There's always hope. God's arms are always open. Yeah. Well, we'll say I'm taking slower steps this time. Yeah. Because I, I got into it. I think I burned out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also was not keeping my eye on God. I was keeping my eye on you know, my, my pastor. And he's right. He's a man. He's going to yep. make mistakes, too. Yeah. But uh, I can't hold that against God. Right. That was my fault for not keeping focused on him. Yeah. But, yeah, I, mean, I he, often going to go through it. Yeah, I'll often tell people, whatever you do, don't mistake Christianity or Christians for Christianity. <laughs> you know, we're we're follow, we're fallen, fallible people as well, and we say and do stupid things. And um, it's not Christian, it's not Christians that define Christianity; it's Christ. You know, and that's that's where we need to keep our focus. Right. You know, while we're watching this program about cults. Mm. And while we're watching it, I'm like, you know, this is a great thing that they're exposing this kind of stuff. But the world looks at all of us Christians like being in a cult. Right. And it's not like that. Right. 
So why do you think that there's such a push nowadays to, uh, to get rid of God? Right. Um, well, I think at the core of it, at the root of it, I mean, if, if God is God, then I'm not. I mean, if, I don't want to oversimplify the issue, but I think that at, at a root, at the deep root, I mean, that is, that is at its core. If God is God, then I am not. And a lot of us have a problem with that um, because we want to do what we want. We want to say what we want. We want to define morality the way we want to define morality. We want to define truth the way we want to define truth. And um, God gets in the way of that. And um, I think at the deepest core, at the deepest root, I think that that's probably, that's lingering there. It's that attitude and that struggle with, um, if God is who he says he is, then I don't get to make all the decisions. Um, That I don't get to, you know, define reality. He defines reality. And a lot of people struggle with that, and understandably so. Um, And uh, But what I would encourage them to do is dip their toe in the water, admit the 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 water may look uh, murky, but uh, it is pleasant. Um, and especially if you aren't looking at it in regards to Christians, but in regards to Christ. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. If I'm not mistaken, whenever the devil appeared in the Garden of Eden, I mean, his temptation to Adam and Eve was to make them feel like they were going to be more like God. Yeah. And basically be, you get this knowledge, you're going to be God. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. And essentially what he said was, don't believe God, believe me. And I think that those words haven't changed one iota since that time. Those are the words we still hear today. Don't believe God, believe me. And, um, and that's, it's just, it's just the same old thing cycling over and over again. Um, and so it doesn't matter what the topic is. Um, there seems to be this push in the world today more and more, um, where, um, God is defined as either, um, irrelevant or bigoted and evil in some way. And, um, the whole message is don't believe God, believe me. And it's the same message as the serpent, as you pointed out. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's all about stroking people's egos nowadays. Yep. Yeah. You know, look at me. It's all about me. It's all about me, and it and it's not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. let's get back on to our original topic, which is your book. So mm-hmm. can you uh, get into a little more detail without giving the whole thing away? Yeah. Sure. Well, I don't, the, the book goes into great detail, so I don't think I could give too much of it away. So I, I could feel free <laughs> to talk about it. Um, as I mentioned at the top, um, we are three part beings, body, mind, and soul, but we have been a culture that has evolved to the point where we only acknowledge two of those being those, those parts, the body and the mind. And all our culture is structured around catering to the body and the mind, right? Are you eating healthy? Are you staying fit? Are you visiting the doctor? 
Did you get vaccinated? Are you wearing a mask? Um, is your coat warm enough? Right. We can go on and on about all the, all the desires, you know, of, of the body. Um, and then of course there's the mind, the constant stimulation of the mind. I was talking with a, um, a psychiatrist a little while ago and they were talking about how we live in the culture today where all these devices, these phone devices and all these uh, social media sites, what they actually do is they release dopamine into our brain. And so a long time ago, we talked, there was the, the warning about cocaine. I remember like decades ago and how cocaine released this huge drop of dopamine onto the brain, an unnatural drop. You know, our brains, of course, get dopamine, you know, um, through food, through sex, you know, through sleep, all these different means. But different drugs will just dr huge dopamine drop and how it like our bodies aren't designed for that. And once we've experienced it, we, we want more. And that's where a kind of addiction, you know, partly comes from, but he said, it's not just cocaine anymore. It's these devices. It's, it's, it's TikTok, it's Facebook. It's all these things that are constantly pulling, you know, we can pick up a phone and within seconds we can be watching, you know, a, a Billy Graham sermon from the 1950s, those good old sermons, or we can be looking at porn. Right. Or or you can be watching a bunch of grown men build a castle out of cardboard boxes. Like my, I'll walk into my son sometimes and be like, what are you watching? These these grown men, like I said, just doing all this ridiculous stuff. Or you can watch someone get murdered. Like it's it's amazing what is online and what comes, you know, into the eye gate through these little devices. And and they they release dopamine. Boom, boom, boom. And they said the the result, the problem today, it's very it's similar to you know, the drug issue that they had in the past with these big release. But now we're talking about children. Now we're talking about the masses who are getting addicted to unnatural dopamine drop. We are obsessed over the body and the mind is my point. Meanwhile, um, our souls, um, what I would argue to be the very core of who we are, the part of us that best defines us, our soul, um, they're starving to death because we haven't been feeding our souls. We've been obsessed with the body and the mind. Preacher used to say church was our our spiritual gas station. You needed hmm. to stop and fuel up. Yeah. <laughs> you, could, yeah. you couldn't keep going and going if you didn't get yeah. that that good fill up of, of the word of God. Right. So. And your your appeal though is more than just Christians and believers. You you appeal to the atheists as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean I'm happy to talk about the topic kind of on any level, but the truth of the matter is we are all three-part beings, body, mind, and soul. And we may now argue or have discussions, maybe a better way to put it, over um, different aspects of you know how we came into being and all this different, but the truth of the matter is we are all unified in the soul. I mean, that is, that's one of the beautiful things. That's one of the things that we have missed by by putting the, the, the remembrance of the soul on the back burner. See, we are divided by all sorts of differing physical traits and physical appetites were divided by differing perspectives um, on this or that, you know, different psychological perspectives, but in the deepest part of us, the soul, as I, my, my book is titled the magnetic heart of God, understanding the five cravings of your soul. And we are united in these cravings. The soul is the thing that unites us. Our skin color doesn't always unite us. Our perspective on politics or religion doesn't always unite us. You know, we all want different food. We all prefer a different TV show. But in our soul, we are all driven by what I believe the same five fundamental cravings. And um, they unite us. In that sense, we are all identical twins when it comes to the soul. And that's, to me, both a profound and a comforting realization. 
um, that the soul is the greatest part of our actual unity. And if we talk about unity all the time today, unity isn't going to come through us all eating the same food or looking the same or having the same perspective on issues, but but we can unify over over um, the needs of the soul. We were talking the other day about uh, schools and, and how some of the schools are going to the, the uniforms. Mm-hmm. And even if you every single kid in that school wore the same exact uniform, same exact shoes, even if they had the same exact haircuts, mm-hmm. they would find something yep. to not like somebody about, whether it be yep. uh, freckles on their face or a mole on their face or the way they talk, anything. Yeah. Why do we, why do we look for reasons to divide ourselves instead of unite ourselves? Right. Well, you, you started um, by talking about a little bit about the garden of Eden. (laughs) And, um, you know, I believe that that's where it all fell apart. Um, You're right. Adam and Eve up to that point, um, had their lives had a and we look when we think of the garden of eden pre-serpent it's paradise right and then the serpent comes in and everything falls apart they believe his lie right and the lie is don't believe god believe me but i'm and eve lived in connection with their maker and it was paradise they left disconnected from their maker and everything fell apart and so but i believe right from the garden of eden we can find the five cravings of the soul and the answer to your question i believe is in those five cravings it's the it's what I call the deep why, right? We we look at the world and we can come up with all sorts of theories, all sorts of ideas, but you know, we think, okay, why did my neighbor leave their spouse? You know, why really? Like what's really at the root of it, right? Some people have sisters or brothers who won't talk to them anymore. Why won't they talk to me anymore? Why really? Right? Why is everyone staring at their smartphones? Why is everybody obsessed with with money and sex? And I believe it comes right down to the five cravings of our soul, which are intended to be satisfied in connection with our maker. We are now trying to satisfy in all these other places that actually end up never bringing satisfaction. And so when you talk about um, uh, our need to one-up each other to a certain degree, or just we got to find something to pick and point out and to, to elevate ourselves. There's one of the five cravings of the soul, as I identify in, in my book, is the craving for significance. Um, we are all craving significance. Um, and um, the craving is so powerful. I mean, significance, in its beautiful light, significance is what drives us to achieve, right? It, right. It's, it's, why, it's why we have beautiful cathedrals instead of just, you know, a, a crummy bark hut, you know, kind of thing, right? It's it's why we have these, you know, we have beauty and these great achievements. It's because we have this desire in us for significance. And that is a good thing. These five cravings are not evil. Um, in fact, as I point out in the book, these five cravings, I believe, were placed in us for the purpose of drawing us towards our maker. But we desire significance. Now, significance in the negative sense means it makes me want to reach for the stars, but be willing to step on your neck to get there. Right. And so our drive for significance kind of it, when it's unchecked, when it's not focused in the right direction, it puts us in a place where we are tearing each other down in order to try to elevate ourselves. And I think we see that throughout society as a whole. I've never really wanted that big fancy house, some really expensive bar. Uh, but recently I've thought about what, do I want to leave in this world? 
and I'm not going to be some rock singer uh, or some incredible musician. And as much as I love to draw and paint, I'm I'm not going to be some famous artist or anything. Reality is reality. Right. What do I want to leave behind? Of course, my my legacy being my children. Mm. But I also want to be known as a, a good man. Mm-hmm. And the whole purpose of doing this show was to try to bring some positivity into the world. Yeah. So yeah. my significance in that sense is I want to say I helped someone. Yeah. You know, my, yeah. I brought a guest on who could relate with someone out there or something. They said, I said, change their lives in some way, whether it's right. to keep mm-hmm. them from hurting themselves or right. just mm-hmm. to, to motivate them to chase their dreams, whatever it is. I, right. If, if that's, wrong for wanting to feel that well then i'm wrong but (laughs) that's what i want it's it's not wrong and that's the point the cravings of our soul are not sin or they're not wrong they're not immoral um what we choose to do with those cravings is obvious is what makes the you know is what makes things something immoral or not right and we all have these cravings and so there are certain people who have this drive for significance. And it means they have to be the CEO or they have to have the giant house, right? They have to keep up with the Joneses. When you see people who have to have the fanciest car, or they have to have the new iPhone. You don't need, you don't judge them over it, but you can realize, oh, there's significant, the desire for significance is playing a role here. Um, but some people are happy, like they, they can't, they said they're, I'm not the most talented person. I'm not the best looking man. Those are, those are just realities. I'm not the most articulate pastor. Um, and so we look for significance in other ways. There are some people who they look for significance because they believe that they're the best movie critic, right? Or or they believe that they can pick a bouquet like nobody else. And and that's that's enough for them in that moment, right? But there's all but there is this we all have the incessant need for significance of some kind. And it drives us to make um so many decisions we make in life. And um like I said, the five cravings, as I as I put forward in my book, are the core motivators of all human ambition. Everything anyone has ever done is rooted in the soul's craving um, for these five things. And and people oftentimes say, "Hey, how did you come up with these five things?" <laughs> well, the first four are um, from my studies in psychology, and I mean, there the, the difference is I link them not to the brain, but to the soul. I believe they go much deeper than psychology. Um, but you can you can find them in psych- psychological textbooks. The fifth one I, I, I discovered through observation and through scripture. And I'll, I'll just tell you what the cravings are if you, if you like. So the, yeah. the, the, the five cravings of the soul are security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. And I propose that all human activity is motivated by these five cravings of the soul. So when I talk about security, I'm talking about physical security, which is what we call our, our you know, survival instinct, right? Um, We're all craving physical security, but then it's also, there's another side to security, which is relational security. You know, we all need to know that our hearts are safe in the hands of those who hold them. And we can have all the money in the world. Um, we can have a moat around our house so we feel physically safe. But if we're not sure our heart is safe in the hands of those who hold them, that's a problem for us. It's an incessant craving. We are all craving security. 
And then there's identity. Um, identity is who am I? Why am I? What is my purpose? Do I have value? And boy, that is a big one in the world today. We are all craving identity. And when you see it's it's a beautiful pursuit, you know, and it's a tragic pursuit, you know, depending on where it's directed. A third one is independence. And I break down independence again into two facets. There's the call for freedom. We all desire to have autonomy, you know, to, to have some some sense, some place where we can do what we want to do. You know, even those identical twins, <laughs> you know, who like, I've met a few of them. They're identical twins. They like they have the same haircut. They want to wear the same shirt. You know, they want to identify together. At some point, you know, they're going to want something that puts them apart as distinct, right? They need to know that they are independent, that they are unique. Maybe they're the athletic twin, right? Or the twin who likes to read or whatever it is. But we're all united in this desire for independence. And then as, as I mentioned, significance. And it can lead us to beautiful places and it can lead us to tragic places. And those first four, I mean, for the for hundreds of years, there's there's like dozens and probably hundreds of of psychological textbooks written on those. I, I'm the only one that I know of who's brought them together in a coherent framework to try to understand people. You know, generally they're they're talked about in in individual contexts. Um, but then that fifth one is innocence, and boy, innocence is second to none. We when you talk about council culture today. You know, this world that we live in, this offense-driven culture, so much of it is based on our craving for innocence, right? Almost every argument that any human being has ever had is based on me feeling that somehow you suggested subtly or not so subtly that I was guilty of wrongdoing or wrong thinking. You disrupted my need to feel innocent, and so I push back, right? And even when I'm guilty, <laughs> right, you, you've, you've touched, touched that button in me, and I got to push back. And um, so security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. Um, that's why someone got divorced. That's why the neighbor left their spouse. That's why um, my sister won't talk to me, right? Or, or on and on it goes. If, if you're, you know, people enter into marriage with the anticipation that it will grant them security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. And when it doesn't, well, they feel it's threatening that they exit the marriage, right? Our, all of our relationships with each other are entered into with the unspoken expectation that you are going to do something to either improve or at least, you know, sustain my sense of security, identity, independent significance. And if you don't, I'm out of here, right? As, as a person, that, that's the way we interact with each other. And these cravings, as I said, they're not bad in and of themselves. What, what makes them troublesome is when we redirect, um, redirect them towards sources that are incompatible or inconsistent or unsafe. Um, and that's at the root of all human activity. Well, this pursuit of identity and independence nowadays is not really independent because everybody wants to follow the crowd. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say that's the conundrum, right? And and there's that, so many of our cravings, at times, at times it's like, what am I craving? All the cravings blend together. Am I craving significance or am I craving innocence? At other times, it's like they're in conflict. It's exactly like you pointed out, right? Where on one hand, I'm pursuing significance in a way that jeopardizes my security, <laughs> right? Um, and and sometimes they are just in conflict in that regard, right? And so um, that's the human conundrum. Right. And that's what happens when you direct them into all sorts of different places. It's it's crazy because all everything you said falls right in line with what people want. now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, well, I want to be this and I want to identify as this and Mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. But what's everybody else doing? Right. (laughs) And they fall right in with everybody else. And I guess that's part of that security is knowing, oh, well, you're not going to judge me because everybody's the same. Right. Right. Well, and there's that paradox where we all are driven through life, stuck in the tension of wanting to remain hidden mm-hmm. and yet be, and yet be seen. Right. It's, yeah. it's that paradox where, and uh, the person who can manage that correctly is the person who will have the best chance of, of living a happy and peaceful life. And people who can never manage that paradox, you know, are people who are depressed and sad and angry and frustrated and combative and, I'm working so hard on not being so judgmental against mm-hmm. people. And it's also true that when you're pointing the finger at everybody else, you've got three more pointing back at you. Yeah. I'm very guilty of that. Where, where do you find that, that happy medium when it comes to, you know, you have your convictions and you want to convey to others, but you don't want to be, judgmental at the right. same time right well i think that um when it comes down to it it so because of our craving for innocence and significance and because of identity i i, I often share with people like what you're mentioning here right now and and i don't talk about politics in a way that you know is going to take one side or the other but the one of the, the problem with politics today is it's no longer about ish, the issues it's no longer about hey hey saying there's a problem in society today let's let's converse together figure out how we can come together to uh, with a conclusion to this and then we vote accordingly um politics has become an identity um and it's a place i always say this identity feels like home and you will fight to protect your home and right. the problem in life is oftentimes is we have assigned identity to too many things. And sometimes we, we've assigned them to contrary things, which, of course, just leads to a total world of upheaval, right? Um, if you're going to have multiple identities, they at least need to be somehow, you know, there has to be some common link that holds them together. But we are in a society where we have identity and these, these contrasting things. And we have to be very careful what we allow to become an identity in our life. Mm-hmm. Um and in the case of politics, like I said, it's it's dangerous to any country when politics becomes about identity because then it's no longer about discussion. It's no longer about unity. It's about you versus me. It's about me keeping my house safe from your invasion, right? And mm-hmm. um, and uh, unfortunately, I think that um, that's at the root, again, of, of so many things in our societies. We've atten- ad- attached identity to too many things. We should, we should let it be preference, right? <laughs> I prefer this and not let it become an identity. But how do we how do we step back from that? Well, I think the first is is realizing what the problem is, and the problem is that I've made, I've made this. And it's it, it's interesting, Evan. Listen, let's think about TV commercials. They're no longer promoting a product, right? They're promoting an identity, right? If you if you get the and you know and the other five cravings as well. If you use my um, credit card you'll be part of an exclusive club. Wow. Speaks to my significance, speaks to my desire to, you know, to have an identity there. Right. Same the old beer commercials, right. They're all, you know, women running around in bikinis, boy, if you drink this beer, you know, you're all these ladies are going to come out of the woodwork and you, you feel like, wow, I am, I am special. Right. I am, I'm significant. Right. Or even today too, then the, the innocence card is always played. If you don't vote for me, 
you aren't innocent. You're guilty. <laughs> right. right. All these things are played everywhere. No one's promoting a product, right, or an idea anymore. They're going straight to the. I don't. They don't even know what they're doing yet. <laughs> they don't. Yep. It, but they're going straight for those five cravings of the soul, and that and that's what, of course, draws us because we need to have those five cravings satisfied. It's funny you touched on that because when I first started voting, I voted one direction because I, that's what was uh, what, what we were supposed to do. Right. That was our, this is what our family does. We vote this way. Right. And then when I did more studying and said, well, this more aligns with my beliefs, then I changed the way I voted. Right. And now... It's it's all about oh you're one of those or you're one yeah. of those, right? Instead of okay, well, how do you feel about uh, spending, government spending? How do you feel about uh, right. this yeah. issue or that issue? And you know why do I have to be or, or I have to vote this way if I'm this type of person? Right. That's that's not how I feel. And when you sit down and have an actual conversation with people on you know, how they feel about these issues. And you're like, well, that's how this party votes. Right. They still don't believe you. Right. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm voting with these folks because, you know, uh, such and such rapper votes that way. And I'm, 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 I'm with them or right. such, yeah. such country singer, you know, or actor, whatever. It's the cult of personality. Yep. Yep. And dividing us into into tribes, right? Yes. Like you you look like this, so therefore you must vote that way, right? And um, yeah, it kills any conversation, and that's a that's a scary place when that happens. Well, the world is becoming scarier and scarier each day, yeah. and I I'm afraid to say this. I feel like we are going to split as a country eventually. Yeah. I don't like it. Right. Well, as long as we're not, as long as we're not willing to have a discussion, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what they like to say. Conversation is the stop gate, um, stop gap before violence. Right. And if we're not allowed to have a conversation or if we're not willing to have a conversation, it's scary when you think of, because that violence and chaos kind of becomes that next step. So have being able to have a conversation, being willing to have a conversation, is so vitally important. And sadly, because of, like I said, so many things becoming identity. And the interesting thing about it is, I mean, we live in a world today or a culture today that it doesn't value the family as it once did. You know, and, and family was, is a primary place that people found identity. It, it doesn't value religion the way it once did, right? And that was a place that people found identity. It doesn't value patriotism you know, the way it once did. And that was a place people found identity. So now people are looking for identity in all these different and sometimes strange places. Um, and um, and yeah, so they it propels them into what I think ultimately things that will make them unhappy, but also it, it forces people into all these corners. And all of a sudden, like I said, we can't have a conversation anymore because you're from that tribe. I'm from this tribe and we can't, we can't converse. That is, reminds me of when we were kids and whether it was a sibling or a friend and you got into a discussion that turned into an argument and then if you couldn't solve the argument then fists were flung right that's exactly what we're doing as a society nobody wants to sit down and actually talk it's all about i'm right and you're wrong 
Right. There's yeah. there's there's no compromising anymore. And as the song says, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and so for me, I feel like I have a message where I want to remind people of their soul. Um, because in understanding who they are, we understand who the people around us are. Um, and that gives us empathy and that gives us compassion. You, you talked about a while ago about not wanting to be the person who judges, right? And I think that's a very noble, noble thing. But when I know, when I understand, um, you know, I'll get personal for a moment here. <laughs> and of course, it's always harder to see things clearly when they're so close. But let's say I understand that my wife is going through something and she's got a problem with me. It is so helpful to know that at least to start with when I'm looking, how, how, how can I, how can I love her? How can I, I come alongside to help to, to realize that the problem um, is security, identity, independence, significance, or innocence. One, one of those or a, a multiple of those are being triggered, right? When I look at a young person, I'm like wondering why on earth is that young person joining that group of ne'er-do-wells? I'll sound like an old person for a moment. Why are they getting into those drugs and that alcohol? I can go, you know what? Um, they don't they they didn't find identity at home. They looked and didn't find it, but they're finding it here. They're craving right. for identity, their identity, craving for identity is what propels them into this, right? Or I'm I'm thinking I'm talking with someone and they are agitated and they're frustrated and they're wanting to fight with me. What is the problem? Well, I can tell you, I'm either somehow they're perceiving that I'm threatening their security or their identity or their independence, right? Or their significance or their innocence. And when I understand people, I said, these are the five cravings that are the root of all human activity. Um, and I mean, it, it just narrows the circle and it helps me to understand people. And when I understand people, I can have patience with people. When I understand people, I can have compassion with people. When I have, understand people, I can truly love them um, in actual action and not just you know saying the clever phrase. Um, so yeah, I really want people to become aware of this because I, I truly believe I've met a lot of people with, I've talked to a lot of people about this. It changes your life when you can, when you finally look at the lens and you can see, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm at home right now and there's a window in front of me and there's traffic driving everywhere. I know what these people are looking for. <laughs> I know everything they're doing. I know what they're looking for. And that allows me to empathize with them. You know, it allows me to have compassion with them. It brings me to a point of unity with them. Um, that I that I wouldn't have otherwise. We take the soul for granted. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. How many times does someone say, "Well, I love that person all the way down deep in my soul." Yeah. But yet yep. they neglect it. Yeah. They don't well, see like the soul. Yeah, and it's like we're scared when we when we use the phrase. It's always ambiguous, right? It's like the studies show that like the vast majority of people believe in an ambiguous soul and they believe in the idea of a soul. I don't know yet if they believe in a defined soul, <laughs> but they definitely believe in an ambiguous soul. And my goal is to, to say, you know what, this doesn't need to be ambiguous. In fact, it shouldn't be ambiguous. We can define what this looks like. Right. And um, when we define what it looks like, we understand ourselves and we understand each other. And so that, like I said, that has been my mission to remind people that more than a brain or a body, you are a soul. You exist beyond biology. And um, and when people awaken to that realization, it really changes the way you view everything. And I also argue that 
you know, I, there's a movie. Um, it's, it's a really good movie. Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? Oh yeah, I, I love that. Movie. It's a there's a there's a scene in there where there's that one fella who who sells his soul to the devil for you know so he can play his guitar really really good, and and that one other character, the one who's not so smart, says, "For that you sold your everlasting soul." And, and the musician rep- responds, um, I wasn't using it, <laughs> you know, and it's just such a it's, it's meant to be satire. It's meant to be funny. And yeah, I really think it 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 puts forth a common misconception. And the misconception is that our soul is mute. Our soul is passive and it has no value and no influence until after we die. And I'm saying the exact opposite. I'm saying your soul is what best defines you. Your soul is the core of who you are. Your soul is the root of all your motivation. And I talk about the internal hierarchy. The soul sends directives to the mind and the mind to the body. That is our internal chain of command. That is the hierarchy behind all other hierarchies. And if so if we don't understand our soul, we don't understand ourselves. There are so many folks that I talk with that talk about the soul. You have a good soul mm-hmm. or you have an old soul. Or, right. Or you just you have a bad soul. Right. I, I I think you are feeding it with everything you put in your brain and everything that you believe. And they, a lot of folks think that, you know, well, one, you're going to become a ghost or, mm-hmm. or two, you're just not going to exist anymore. Right. Uh, now, to me, I, I truly believe you are going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. Right. And so what kind of soul do you want to present in front of God? Do you want that right. one that's just nothing but filth or do you want that, that clean one? Right. How do you want well, to be I, judged? Right. And the, um, I think that when it comes to the idea of the soul as well, I mean, the, my book is called the magnetic heart of God. Um, understanding the five cravings of your soul. And I, I I called it that because I believe my personal belief is that the only place that these cravings can be actually fully satisfied is in reconnecting with our maker. Right. right. And, and I talk to people about this, you know, like I said, I've talked to atheists about this and they're like, you know what? I don't quite agree with your perspective on Christianity or anything like that. I'm like, that's okay. But they've said, but I do what you're saying about the soul makes sense. You know? And when I understand that, there is something, there's something I can't explain. And if, I mean, when you, you talked about um, people saying you're an old soul, like I said, we use it in an ambiguous way. We use that all the time. I mean, the Olympics is going to come up next year. We, and it's, we're going to hear a whole lot of um, the triumph of the human spirit, <laughs> right? We're going to hear phrases like that. People talk about the subconscious, you know, again, ambiguous type stuff. People talk about the heart. You have a good heart or you have a kind heart. What they're referencing is the soul. You know, they're unofficially acknowledging the reality of a non-biological presence, you know, which which they somehow admit wields more influence than brain pathways, you know, neural pathways or hormones. Um, and yet modern society is uncomfortable defining it. And I think and the interesting thing is it's it's only modern culture that has rejected the soul. To a certain degree throughout all of human history it has been embraced and it has been understood and the reason isn't because there's some sort of scientific reason to not believe in it or there's some kind of logical believe in, reason to be, not believe in it the reason is there's some other motivation and um you know i don't want to you know divide people by digging too much into what that motivation might be 
but to not believe in a soul is not science. You know, you're not following science. <laughs> you know, as I mentioned before, you know, when people say, you know, what evidence do I have that there's a soul, right? Well, one of the biggest evidences, and there's there are several, but I will just say this: every culture in the world, in the history of the world, whether they, you know, are in the jungle or on the plains, you know, or whether they, you know, live on a mountaintop, whether they build their house out of buffalo hide or rock or wood, you know, or snow blocks, um, you know, whether they're fishermen or hunter gatherers or farmers, they all came to the same conclusion that we have souls, that we exist beyond biology. The, The awareness of the soul was not evangelized. It did not spread like religion. You know, when... When the English came to America, the English believed in a soul. But when they got here, the Native Americans also believed in a soul. The English didn't bring the knowledge of the soul, right? And then we look way back in history and we see the Romans who believed in a soul. And they land their ships at, you know, White Cliffs of Dover. They they met um, the Britons who also believed in a soul. Now, the Africans believed in a soul before anyone came and brought the... We, all, every culture simultaneously came to the awareness of the soul. And that right. is powerful evidence. I mean, that you, you can't ignore that, right? And and then also, I always say, you, you're your best ev- your own best evidence that you have a soul. We intuitively know it. We intuitively know somehow that we exist beyond biology. We have non-biological cravings. As I said, identity is a non-biological craving. There, it, there's no, there's no um, um, evolutionary sense to us needing to have a, you know, identity or significance. Um, these are non-biological cravings and they they prove the existence of our non-biological selves oh i've always explained like when we talk about the trinity or mm-hmm. or the, the the body it's it's like an egg even though you might separate it at one point it's still it's yeah. an egg yeah if that makes sense yeah yeah and as long as it's a, it's an egg that's whole they're all connected. I mean, the the shell is connected to the to the white, and the white is connected to the yolk. And sometimes I'll refer to the um, ourselves as small t trinities, and <laughs> that you know we are that three part being, that body, mind, and soul. Each one is connected to the other. Um, if you do something, it impacts one; it impacts all the others. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. when we when we die. Um, again, and this is not simply a Christian statement or a religious statement. It's the statement that every culture in the world, the conclusion that they all came to independently, when we die, there's a part of us that lives on. And like I said, different religions have popped up to try to explain that in a different way, but they all came to that same awareness, right? And that is that is huge evidence. Um, so obviously, when our brains and our bodies are in the ground and die, there our soul continues to live on. Do you have a website? Yeah, my website is coreyrosenke.com. And um, yeah, there's a bio on there. There's some links to uh, to people so people can order my book, a um, little bit, share a little bit more who I am. People can connect with me through there as well. I, I'm slowly putting up kind of different videos. Um, I have a promo video for my book on there and some other little, you know, snippets from sermons and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, coreyrosenke.com. Um would help people find anything they would like to know if they didn't go to the website where else could they get your book um my the book is available everywhere um so barnes and noble amazon i mean it's it's um 
a publisher said it would be available at 97% of bookstores across the world. So um, wow. I'm taking, I'm taking that to mean that it'll be available everywhere. So, yeah. And do you do social media? Yeah, I, I'm just getting into that. I'm, I'm not a social media expert. That's for sure. I prefer chatting with people, but I have Corey Rosenke ministries on Facebook. I just started Twitter and oh man, that is a different world. It's a, it makes my head spin. Um, again, that's just C Rosenke or at C Rosenke um, on Twitter. So absolutely. Um, I have some, I'm slowly kind of putting some stuff on YouTube. Most of my stuff on YouTube is is my music. Um uh, like I said, I was a song singer songwriter, toured around, made an album for a little bit. Quickly discovered that that particular vein wasn't what worked for my family, um, and um, so didn't kind of dig into that as as much as I had originally thought. But made a, I made an album with some great people. Really proud of it, um, and um, so all that stuff's on there as well. What's uh, your YouTube channel? I again, it's just Corey Rosanke. <laughs> pretty pretty straightforward yeah exactly I, I don't even think i started it. i think someone else started it for me at one point or whatever um but um yeah just my name if you type my name and all this stuff will will come up so well i i am going to put all those links in the description so it'll make it easy for folks to find I, you i appreciate that and Corey, thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciate the conversation oh thank you so much what a privilege yeah, we're going to have to do this again. We'll get into some other subjects. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Good. Uh, again, thank you. And I also want to thank all you folks out there. If you are new to the channel, I well, hope you'll come back. Hit that subscribe button for my regulars. You guys are awesome because you make it possible for me to do this. Till the next one, everyone, please take care. Be kind to one another. God bless and peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen to the Vibes. You can catch us on Buzzsprout or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook at The Vibes Broadcast Network.